I'm going to pray for us first before I read this. Father, help us this morning. Help us to believe that your word does not return void. Help us to believe that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe, help our unbelief. Please allow your spirit to be poured out on us. Find what we are doing this morning as acceptable in your sight. Help us this morning. We pray this in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all, are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This morning, this is what we are looking at. This is what we are contemplating. The resurrection of Jesus. Because believe it or not, the, the Christian faith hinges on this point right here. Has Christ risen from the dead? Or has he not? Is Christ Jesus alive? Or is he dead? In the 1960s, Time magazine did uh, the first thing that they had ever done, and that is post or paste just words on the front of the magazine. Normally, a picture would go on the front cover of the magazine, but for this particular issue, the question uh, was, is God dead? 
You don't have to look very far. In fact, I was reading a few articles last night talking about the dwindling state of Christianity in America. Because if Jesus died, then this is pointless. Why go to church? Why believe in Jesus? And in order to understand a little bit more of what Paul is trying to communicate here, what we need to seriously understand is why Paul is writing this letter to this church. Paul had gone and preached to this church. Paul is is actually not asking this question to atheists, but he's asking this question to Christians. And so, under assumption that I know that not all of you are probably Christians, but the majority of you may be Christians, this is the question that we need to ask ourselves, is do we believe that Christ raised from the dead? You see, Paul, he uh, is asking this very question and playing the hypothetical what-if game. Paul was a man who knew the Scriptures. He knew that in the Psalms, one of the Psalms says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Does, Does this mean that the fool is somebody who is stupid or unintelligent or ignorant? That's not what fool means here. What fool means here is the person who chooses their sin instead of God. You, you see, you can intellectually have some type of conception of God, but if your heart chooses sin over God, then the Bible makes it clear that you are a fool. So Paul here isn't speaking directly to the atheist. Paul here is speaking directly to the Christian, or what we could even, in fact, say, maybe the nominal Christian. Why? Because there were some who say that Christ is dead. This is right here what Paul is saying, is it not? He says, now... There's something above that we'll look at a little bit later that he is referring to. Now, this is a transition here. But he's saying right here, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, this is what Paul went into Corinth preaching. That Christ was raised from the dead. And as Paul was preaching that Christ was raised from the dead, what happened? People became Christians. People repented of their sin. People turned to Christ as their only hope in life and death. And Paul saw this church forming before his eyes. And he established pastors to lead the church. And he left and went on his way. And now he is hearing that some are saying otherwise. You remember what I said earlier about 
The fool says in their heart that there is no God. We see, as Paul is writing this letter to this church, that practically speaking, they're saying that they believe in God, but their heart is far from God. Why? Because as Paul is writing this letter, and when you read this letter, you need to read it as a rebuke to the church. Because as Paul is writing this letter, he is very self-aware that this church currently at this point is choosing their sin rather than following God. How so? Because they were championing their sexual progression. A son started shacking up with his mother. And they were going around saying, look at us. We're with the times. They were bragging about the son and mother getting together. Not only so, but, but they were taking communion, the Lord's Supper, in such a way that was causing some of them to be sick to the point of death. You see, what was happening is the more, the more important people were getting to the communion table first and they were eating all of the bread and drinking all of the wine, leaving some of them even drunk in this state, while those who were poor did not have a chance to take the Lord's Supper. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Intellectually, they can say that there is a God, but their heart was far from following the commandments of Jesus. Instead, what they were doing is they were treating Jesus in a few ways. Maybe this can be relatable for the 21st century. Maybe not. They were looking at Jesus as a good teacher. Jesus has some good moral principles for us to live by. Did you know that quite a few of our founding fathers thought this way? In fact, Thomas Jefferson went through his Bible and cut out every single place that there was a miracle that took place. In fact, Thomas Jefferson went so far to say as within the next 50 years, Christianity will be obsolete in America because the Enlightenment will help progress it. This church was saying that Christ had died. Some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. I mean, are, 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 don't people treat Jesus like this? Like Jesus is a, a lucky rabbit's foot that if I just carry him around enough, I'll, I'll get what I want. Luck will follow me around and the desires of my heart will be fulfilled if I just follow Jesus. No suffering will occur. I'll get all I want. All the cars, the, the good house, the clothes, the vacations, the toys, all of it, and Jesus is just treated as a lucky rabbit's foot. Or, possibly, it's just a get-out-of-jail-free card. When life is going good, Jesus is in the background. But as soon as life starts to get hard, this is when Jesus starts to become more prevalent in my life. 
I must have done something wrong, so I, I need to, to get Jesus back into the front. And once the waves calm down, then, then Jesus, you can go back downstairs to the basement, and if I need you, I'll just call for you to come up. Paul is asking this church, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because here is the reality, church. If Christ is dead, we are in trouble. We aren't just in little trouble. We are in big trouble. We are in massive trouble. We are in atomic bomb state level trouble. If Christ is dead, then we are in trouble. And so this is what Paul is going to do for the next few verses, is that Paul is going to say, let's play the hypothetical what-if game. Now, I don't know if you've ever played this game before. I have. With my friends. What if... uh, the water towers are just landing spaces for aliens. What if uh, water is wet? You see, Paul is going to chase this hypothetical what-if game, and we are going to see him do this in six steps. He's going to say, okay, let's play this what-if game, that if the resurrection never happened, let's see what the outcome is here. You want to play this game, let's play this game. So, first, if there is no resurrection, what is the first thing? He says, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is dead. If the resurrection never took place, then Christ is dead is dead. And if Christ is dead, then my preaching is pointless. So so here, I take this a bit personally, Paul. So you're saying that one of the very things that causes me agony throughout the week to get done, and the reading that I have to do for to feed people this stuff is pointless. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that this preaching that has been going on is pointless. It's dumb. Why do it? But here's the other thing, too. That means that you guys are suckers. Because you're sitting here listening to useless preaching. And what that means is that your faith is futile. My faith is futile. This preaching is pointless. And you are suckers just wasting your Sunday morning. And so if preaching is pointless then this preaching leads to something serious. If the preaching is pointless, then what Paul has been doing and what the disciples, the apostles have been doing is they have been misrepresenting God. Think about the person who is saying this. This is the Apostle Paul who was persecuting this church for him thinking they were misrepresenting God. He was saying, go ahead and kill these Christians. It's open season. 
Let's throw these Christians in jail. So the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, is recognizing he has some skin in the game. He has been preaching this message that Christ has risen. And so he's very aware that if all of this resurrection stuff never happened, then he has been misrepresenting God. And if you know your Old Testament, what this means is this is a serious offense to God. This isn't a a little one. This is a serious offense. Because this means that Paul has been misrepresenting God and then leading thousands of people astray. Getting God right and wrong is a serious thing. So that's the third one. So if there is no resurrection, Christ is dead. If Christ is dead, then preaching is pointless. Since preaching is pointless, or if preaching is pointless, how is it pointless? Well, it's pointless because we have been misrepresenting God and our faith is futile. So if we are caught misrepresenting God, here is the, the fourth what if. if. If we are caught misrepresenting God, then we are still in sin. Still in sin. So the, the, the preaching that has taken place and, and the proclamation of Christ rising from the dead and, and calling people to repentance of trusting in Christ, this is pointless. It means that the sin that the apostles were saying that you could be free from still hangs over people. This means that you and I are still in our sin. And if we're still in our sin, what does Paul say next? If we are still in our sin, this is the fifth one, if we are still in our sin, then either we are perishing right now, or we are going to perish one day. Simply put, what Paul is saying is that if you are still in your sin, if Christ has not raised from the dead, then either there are people who have believed in Jesus currently in hell, or at this very moment, all of us are going to hell and will face the just wrath of God for misrepresenting God. This is the seriousness of the what if. If there is no resurrection, all of these things will fall over like dominoes. Six. If we are perishing, then we are to be pitied because our faith is pointless. Our trust in Jesus is meaningless. What is Paul saying here? In the easiest way possible that I can explain this is if Christ is dead, what we are doing this morning, this celebration of Christ rising from the dead is pointless. You are suckers, I'm a fool, and we should be home. What this means for me, I don't know what it means for you, but what this means for me is that my time would be better spent playing video games with Haddon. What this means is that my time would be better spent playing Mario Kart 8 with Haddon, and when he gets Bullet Bill shouting at him, push the button because you're getting first place. 
This is where my time would be better spent, just playing video games with my son. Not up here, not waking up at 5 a.m. every morning then. It would be better spent sleeping in because all of this faith in Jesus, all of this trust in Jesus would be pointless, obsolete. But Christ is not dead. This is it. This right here is it. This is the end of the what-if game. Notice how Paul moves his language here. Notice how Paul moves away from the what-if game here. In verse 20, you can see how he moves away from the what-if game. He doesn't play a what-if game here. What he says, but in fact. He doesn't say, but if in fact. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That is no what-if game. That is a reality. Paul is certain. Paul is saying, without a doubt, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is what he's saying. This is fact. Why? Why is it a fact? And this is here what I would like to just ask you this morning. Uh, one of the things is, I, I just put some a little bit of respect on the Bible. Please, put a little bit respect on the Bible. This book that has been around for thousands of thousands of years, and where even the most intellectual atheists have to say that this is a legitimate book, where people have to say that Christ Jesus was a real person. The most intellectual atheists will say, yes, Christ had to have been a real person. It's this resurrection thing that I can't wrap my head around. So let's put some respect on the scriptures here this morning. And, and let's just not trust that, uh, you know, one morning you're out with a walk with your friend and they said, you know, last night when I was on my seventh time of playing Mario Kart, I had this thought to myself, Jesus probably didn't rise from the dead. Let's maybe put a little bit more respect on this historical account than maybe we want to give it credit for. Please, please, if you're here this morning and and maybe you are an atheist, take this book more serious. Because even the most intellectual atheists take this book serious and not with a grain of salt. So, why does Paul say it is a fact? Well, Paul was a real man. And he tells us why. He tells us why at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I just would like us to read this. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Please, you don't have to read along. Just listen. And then I'm going to show us why Christ is risen and why Paul was thoroughly convinced that Christ is risen. Here, let's look at this. Now, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or the Apostle Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep, which he means by that is they're not taking a nap, they are dead. Then he appeared to uh, James, then to all of the apostles, last of all, as to one ultimately born. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preached to you, so you believed. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying here, I know for a fact, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. How? Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared. He appeared to people. The scriptures tell us that he appeared to people. We see that he appeared this morning to our call to worship. We, 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 we see and, and know from the account of the women that he appeared to the women who were disciples. We see that people saw him, that he appeared to Peter. Peter, do you love me? This wasn't just a state, or this wasn't at all a state of grief, that they saw some type of mirage. Jesus ate with Peter. And when he appeared to the twelve, he ate with the twelve. And not only that, but Thomas, poor doubting Thomas, yet bold Thomas, asked Jesus, can I stick my hand in your side? That's one of the grossest things that a person could do. But Jesus said, go ahead, here are my holes in my hands. Here is the cut in my side. He appeared to 500 people at once. He appeared to the apostle Paul. This is why we can have certainty that Christ was raised from the dead. This is why we know that it was not just some type of sham, some type of tomfoolery, but that this was legitimate because the scriptures tell us and there were eye accounts of this happening. Christ is risen. He is not dead, but he is alive. And so what this tells us is that we have hope for the future. This is what makes the resurrection so incredible, is that because Christ is alive, we have hope for our future. Why is that? Because as we see at the end of these few verses, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Here it is. Here is the reality and the the importance of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. That through one man, Adam, all would die. Our sin causes us to be dead. It causes us to be enemies of God. 
It causes us to be indifferent to the gospel of Christ. It causes us to be indifferent and think about the spiritual realities as lesser than, as unimportant. It causes us to, to look at the things of this world and put those, those things on a pedestal. But, but here, the, the man, Jesus Christ, came so that also we shall be made alive. This isn't just some type of false or short lived, alive feeling you get. It's not a false sense of aliveness that comes with the adrenaline of what you are doing. It's not, it's not a false and short-lived alive that, that things bring to us. It's not this, this short-lived adrenaline that drugs or alcohol bring us. It's, it's not the short-lived adrenaline that as we, we tap on our keyboards as hard as we can because we see a Facebook post that we disagree with and we just have to get our rage out somehow and we push that post button and we feel a sense of that adrenaline seeing who's going to say what and how can I make that person feel that way. This isn't the type of feeling you get from rage as you, you cuss at the driver who has cut you off or the rage type of adrenaline you get as you yell at your family. This is not the short-lived, alive feeling that you get as you click on the buy now button and you anticipate a box to show up on your porch. And as you cut it open, it feels so good. This is not the adrenaline type of alive feeling that you get during sex or doing good deeds for people. This type of alive feeling is an eternal alive feeling that through Christ we can have. This is why the resurrection is so crucial. It's because that through Christ we too can now be made alive. This is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus that you were dead. You were by nature children of wrath. Dead in your sins and trespasses desiring these fleshly passions of yours. But God, being rich in mercy and great in love, he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And on the third day, Jesus rose again. He rose from the grave. And so when we trust in Jesus by faith, by trust, we can have this eternal life. We can be made alive. This is not a second chance in life. I can't stand it when Christians talk about this. God gives you a second chance. He does not give you a second chance because you were not alive. He gives you a first chance and makes you alive in Him. And it's by no works of your own. It's by your trust in Christ. It's by your trust in His finished work for you, 
can be made alive because of Jesus. So because Jesus has risen and the grave could not keep him down, let us worship our risen Lord today. Let this reality sink in, not just to our minds, but to our hearts. And let this reality affect every single way that we live. Since Christ is risen today, we should celebrate like nobody else. This is one of the most important things that took place in history. This is the most important celebration that we could celebrate. So let us celebrate joyfully today. Let us leave here after contemplating what if Jesus never rose? And what does this mean since Jesus did rise from the dead? Let us leave here joyfully with hearts welled up that pour over with thanksgiving, worshiping our risen Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our risen Lord Jesus. And we ask for thankful hearts. Please, God. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, for being made alive and making us alive in you. Amen.